Good morning, Providence. I am uh, humbled to be here uh, before you today, and um, I think as Jay was reading my eulogy, um, <laughs> and uh, very graciously accepted, but I was thinking of our three loves together, uh, love God together, love our church family, love our neighbor together, and I know the reason why I was asked to continue on in Ephesians and to speak to you today was because I am not a scholar, an exegesis-wise woman, um, but I know what I have yearned to live my life by, and that is love of Christ within a community, um, within a neighborhood. And i that's what I want to share with you today. In fact, as I was given this passage, I felt a little bit initially like, ugh, I don't want to do this passage. This is going to be really hard. It's boring, actually. And the teacher in me is like, man, I want to dress up. I want to throw things. I want to give stuff. And it just wasn't flowing. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to be humbled by this. And the more I got into it, the more I realized this is a beautiful passage with so much hope and so much life to be lived as a believer. So let's jump in. On your paper, I love visuals, and I gave you a picture of Ephesians written by the Bible Project. And as a review, we've had a lot of great speaking and preaching over the last couple months on Ephesians. And remember, the, the city of Ephesus uh, Paul went to and started a little church, and he was there for two years. He leaves the city, become, years later becomes imprisoned, and writes this letter back to the church, writes it back to the Ephesians. And this letter is written in basically two big chunks, um, and the first one is the gospel story. He basically says in this beautiful poem at the beginning, Christ was here. He loves us Jews. You're saved by grace and all of these different things. And then he says, and we're bringing in the Gentiles. And all of us, as you kind of look at that, pa that paper in chapter 4, we're united as one body. Do you remember that sermon that Jay gave where he's like, you are a body, you are a muscle, and you need to find out what that is. And then um, Matthew got up and said, we have different gifts in the body, and within those gifts, you need to start putting off things and putting on things. You need to take off the old stuff and put on the new stuff. Do you guys remember that? Okay. And we're continuing to talk about that in chapter 5, and if you flip over to the back, if you want to take notes, you can, uh, but we're basically going to be talking about walking wisely. You've put off all this old stuff that it was talking about in chapter 5, and now that you're doing good, you're going to walk how? And that's what we're going to talk about. Matthew Champlin said, light is who you are, so look like you. At the beginning of Ephesians, said, Christ has come. He loves you. In fact, you are his son and daughter, and you're going to walk in that light, right? And you are going to show up like Christ, right? That's what we've been talking about and I remember his grandfather, Matthew, or Dr. Daryl Champlin, uh, who was Jay and I's uh, professor in Bible college years ago, he had a phrase that said, love with shoes on. In other words, walk in love. Whatever you do, walk it out. And walking wisely is what we're going to be talking about. 
So um, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, as we're jumping into this passage, it says walk in love. Walk love with shoes on. Don't walk in darkness. Don't do all the gossip. Don't do all the moral sins. Don't do all the covetousness. But walk in light. Now in verse, we're going to pick up in actually in verse 15. In verse 15, 17, 16, 17, 18, it talks about this comparison. It says, don't walk like this, but walk like this. Don't walk like this, walk like this. Don't walk as unwise, but walk wise. Don't be, what's the next one? Don't be foolish in verse 17, but understand God's will. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So be the first blank if you're taking note. Be a wise walker is what it starts talking about in verse 15. The word wise there means to be skillful, clever, learned, intelligent. We have some medical folks joining us today. When you guys said, I want to start being in the medical field, did you get the scalpel and go to your brother and sister and go, let's go, let's try this out. Come on, this is my future. No, you didn't. I hope you didn't. Um, and, you know, just like our, my son Spurgeon, our son Spurgeon really wants to start working on cars, and he sees our car in the uh, driveway. Am I going to give him all of the tools and say, go work on my car? It's kind of acting funny. No, I'm going to say, go to school. Learn the skill. Become intelligent as a doctor. Learn the body. Learn the instruments. Then when I get sick, I'll let you tinker with me. Or when my car gets sick, I'll let you work on me. You actually need to learn some skills. So that's what it's talking about. Be wise. But I love the next part of this. It says in the next part of that verse, um, it says here, therefore, look how careful you are walking, not as unwise as wise, taking advantage of every opportunity because the days are evil. Why do you need to be wise? What does that verse say? The days are evil, okay? Taking advantage of those evil days. You know, Paul actually understood this. Writing this book, he understood that point. Paul would walk into towns and go, I love God. I actually want to help people understand God. And he would start proselytizing and, and sharing the hope of the gospel. And what did the Pharisees and all of the people in the high up try to do to him? They tried to hush him. They plotted against him. In fact, many times he was put into prison. He knew that the days were evil. He knew that the days were evil. He had evil people coming after him to put him away. He knew the evil that was in the towns that he was proclaiming, but he took advantage of the situation. He actually said, oh, I'm in prison. Let's share with people around here who's Jesus. Let's see people get saved. Let's write a letter to the church, Ephesians, and let me mail it to you. Let's take advantage of the darkness of this hour. There's this idea of this careful urgency in verse 15, if you look back at that, there, a wise person sees the danger, they become skilled in how to deal with that danger, and they walk carefully but urgently. Does that make sense, believers? They see something that's not right, and they go, I'm going to study that not rightness. What is wrong? And then they go to it carefully but urgently. You know, I remember the first time when I was little and I saw the depth of the depravity of man, and I, I was little, and there's a story of a real person, Amy Carmichael, grew up in Ireland, wanted to love her neighbors, help those that were in poverty around her, studied that skill, studied her neighborhood, and then was like, I'm going to go to India. 
She went to India. When she got there, she studied it, and she saw the darkness around her. This was 50, 80 years ago, 90 years ago, and she realized that those families were selling their children into the temple system. There was a caste system at that time, and they would sell their children. And she realized that she started studying the depth of that evil. She wanted to do something about it. She was white with blue eyes in India. Is that a thing? No, it's not. So she painted her face. She did the best that she could. She got the clothing, and she would find a way to get into those temples and see exactly what was happening to those children. And she learned it. And then she walked carefully but urgently. And for the next 50 years, she started an orphanage. And it is still there to this day, Donover. Is it helping the temple children? No, because that, has, that casteism has been broken down, praise the Lord. But it's helping orphans. And you know what? She saw something in need. I felt that when we came into this neighborhood. When we came into this neighborhood 15 years ago, we saw the way that felons and single moms were treated and the needs that they had. We saw people in financial poverty saying they have needs. And we stepped back and we developed, we want to abolish economic, relational, and spiritual poverty at cross purpose. Economic, relational, and spiritual poverty. We saw the needs of people financially. We saw the hurt that lack of finances, the hurt of lack of community, the hurt of a lack of spiritual gospel in people's lives, and we ran into that. You see, you as an individual have an opportunity to look around you and go, what is urgent? What is simple and urgent around your life right now? What do you see that you need to become wise in, believer? What at work is not right? What in your home is not right? What do you need to become wise in? What do you need to walk carefully and urgently into? What moves you? What in your culture will you take in the upper hand? So walk wisely. And then the second blank is walk on God's path. In verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay? This is different. Okay? Wise walker, walk on God's path. On account of this, do not become foolish. On account of this, do not become foolish. What is a fool? What is a fool? Okay, a fool is somebody who actually knows the facts but refuses it. It says a willful ignorance. They actually see what's happening around them, but they choose not to do anything about it. That's a fool. Okay, the Bible actually gives the example, I think it was beautiful, of the Pharisees, the Pharisees constantly caused them fool. Why? They had all the written word of God right in front of them. They had all the facts. In fact, they had the person of who right in front of them? Jesus Christ was right there in front of them. And yet, they said, no, we don't want Jesus. Okay? There was also the idea of Saul in 1 Samuel uh, 13 and 14, where he himself was told by the prophet who is going to be king. David is going to be king. I've anointed him, Saul. In fact, I'm going to show you who the, the young man is. Then he brings him in. He starts fighting. He wins the war, and the people start praising Saul, or David's name. And yet Saul says of himself, I am a fool. 
Why did Saul call himself a fool? Because he knew all the facts and yet he rejected it. In fact, he became so much of a fool that there was one time where Saul wants to make himself look needy and he tells his servant boy, pierce me with a sword so that it looks like David did it. And the boy's like, I'm not doing that. That sounds stupid. And the boy ran away. And what does Saul do? He falls on his own sword. Ultimate foolish move. The facts are right in front of him. On account of this, on account of the darkness, the days are evil. There's an urgency, believer, about what needs to be done. On account of that, don't be foolish. Don't deny the facts of what is happening around you. Do you know in the civil rights movement, there was a, somebody who began that movement? It didn't just pop up overnight. It actually began. Somebody stepped back and says, what is happening in our culture that is wrong? And people started meeting and doing these things, stepping into working on it. And do you know who this is? Who is that? Rosa Parks. Do you know that, that was not an accident that she did that that day? She didn't walk on that bus go, you know, I am just tired of this and just sit down and not move. Uh-uh. This was planned. This was planned. In fact, she was supposed to do it a few days before, and it didn't work out. And she did it on this day. Like, Jen, what does that matter? She walked wisely. She was not a fool. She saw the urgency. She walked carefully. She stepped into the wisdom of what she could do to meet the needs. Believers, the Proverbs talks about a fool all the time. And you're like, Jen, I don't need to go sit on a bus. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. Proverbs talks about it all the time. Listen to these things that cause you a fool, okay? When you do not plan your, your finances, it calls you a fool. You've been given money coming into your account every day, and you go out and spend it. I know what I need to spend my money on, but I'm not going to do it. You're a fool. The Proverbs is clear about that. When you laugh at your wrongdoing instead of taking it into account, when you laugh at the wrong that's around you and you don't stop and go, that's wrong, you're a fool. It doesn't say you're unwise because the information is out there. It's saying you're turning your back on the information. Does that make sense? Big difference on being a fool. When you make the same, thing, the same wrongs over and over and over again, man, I should stop eating that food. Man, I should stop waking up late. Man, I should stop getting angry at my kids. Man, I should stop. You're a fool because you've done the wrong over and over and over again. You know the facts and yet you won't turn. Believers, we have got to wise up and jump on the path that God wants us to. You cannot ignore the path of what God wants you to do. How do you walk in the paths? By understand what the will of the Lord is. By understanding what the will of the Lord is. You know, I watch little kids come in this morning, and um, those of you who are parents, and little kids will often hold their parents' hand or hold onto the stroller, right? And what are they doing? They're looking around, and then every once in a while they're glancing up. Looking around and glancing up. Believers, are you holding on to understanding the will of God and looking around and glancing up at the Father himself? How do you understand the will of God? How did that little kid understand their parents? They held on. They turned and looked. They watched. They followed. Don't tell me we cannot understand the will of God. Tell me that you're not looking at him. Tell me that you're not holding on to him and glancing up at him and glancing up at him. 
You can understand the will of God. It is not beyond us as believers. You are a fool if you don't. Because it is right there. He's right there for you to hold on. But the passage doesn't end there. You know, what's beautiful in this is walk by the Spirit. God says, yes, hold on, understand my will, and I'm going to give you everything you need to walk it. Everything you need to understand, believer. And that is walk by the Spirit. Now, it says here, don't get drunk with wine. That is not necessarily talking about um, intoxication, even though that's a hot button for me, as Jay alluded to. I can't stand it, but that's not what it's talking about. It's a comparison. It's saying whatever fills you up is going to come out of you. Whatever fills you up is going to come out of you. If you fill yourself up with alcohol, okay, the Bible talked about somebody wise, they see the facts, they see that the wickedness is evil, they get the grace and they understand it and they walk with uh, carefulness and urgency. The fool says, I see the facts, I don't care. But the person who is filled with drunkenness or filled with himself, they're clueless. There's no self going on. They've lost all self-control. So it gives you three types of believers here. Okay, does that make sense? When you're drunk with wine, you've lost it all. There is, they, you can't even tell your body, I don't want to do that. You're just doing whatever. Okay, that is somebody. But the opposite of that, which is beautiful, is you could be filled with the Spirit, and then you just walk. Amen. And God himself will do it in you. You know, I was driving to, I got in the car this morning. We have four drivers for two cars in our house right now. Who laughed at that? You understand exactly what that means. Yes. And I got in the car this morning, and guess where the gas was? Yeah, and it was not at the top of the white line. No, it was like halfway through to the bottom of the white line. And I, yes. How many of you have ever run out of gas? Oh, look at you losers out there. That's okay. We love you anyway. And I felt like that this morning. I was like, oh, Lord. You know, like you're just, some of us as believers go, how do we know when we're filled with the Spirit? Jen, I know when I'm filled with alcohol. I know when my vitamins kick. I know when that caffeine kicks in because I know what comes out of me. Okay, I know when I do this, what comes out of me. You know what? You can know when the Holy Spirit is in you because you know what's coming out of you. When I was <laughs> driving this morning, what did I pray? After going through the uh first, and I'm like, Lord, I don't know what's in this tank. I don't know how much is in this tank. And now I'm depending on the Holy Spirit to go, move this car. Get me there. You know, sometimes you're like, I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's in me, so I don't know what's coming out of me. As believers, you will know when the Holy Spirit's in you. I know when I got a full tank of gas what's coming, where I'm going to go. As a believer, you actually can know. You know, I, a, a personal illustration of that is... I am at a season of life um, that a lot of women hit in their 40s to 50s, and I have a hard time sleeping at night. And I will wake up at weird times, and I have tried melatonin, and I've tried, I've tried the books, and I've tried the, all that kind of stuff. And I met with Miss Patty, this was like months ago, and we were talking about just aging and how our bodies age. And it was such a peaceful thing to me to go, you know, okay, this is what my body is going to do. This is where I'm headed. And I'll wake up in the middle of the night going, this is what my body's going to do. This is where I'm headed. 
And when I wake up, I go back to sleep eventually, I'll wake up in the morning, and sometimes there'll be like a two to three hour spurt in the middle where I don't sleep, okay? And I wake up in the morning, and I've gone through this thing that I've settled in, and it's like, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get through this day. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know. My battery pack is depleted. And you know what I've found as a believer? When my battery pack is depleted, what battery, what source am I going to plug into? God. And I have found through my kneeling of my physical body and going, God, I cannot figure out how to get more sleep. I can't do it that I am automatically taking my energy and I'm plugging it into the Holy Spirit and I'm going, you know what? You know, new phrases in the morning? Lord, you have given me exactly what I need to get through this day. Do it in me and through me. Lord, you know exactly what I need to do, what you're going to do to get me through this day. Do it in me and through me. It is almost like a yieldedness of filling when the Lord comes in and out of you. Do you get that? The gas might go in a car. The Holy Spirit might come in me, and I yield to it, and I let it power me. And when that happens, well, there's, there's a commentary that says, being filled with the Spirit is living in the conscious presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that whether I get sleep or not, whether I got gas in the tank or not, it is coming through me, and it is filling up out of me, letting this mind through the Word dominate everything that is thought and done. It just moves you. That is the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is at work, you're going to walk noisily. That's the next blank. And I like this one. And it's simple because I didn't want to make this a, a, a sharing on worship and singing and all of that. But when my... When the Holy Spirit is in me, what is, how do I know that the Holy Spirit's in me? It is very obvious. It's three things. I am going to start speaking. I am going to start speaking to one another by means of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I am going to start talking about Christ to others. When, when I am thinking about the Lord, I am holding on as a child does that parent, and I'm looking at him going, Lord, where are we going? What's your path today? How am I doing this as a believer? Oh, I see the wickedness. I'm going your way. I'm going to step wisely and urgently. As I am doing that, how do I know that that is coming out of me? That's because you're speaking to one another about it. If you can go a full week and you don't share Christ in you, I would question, is Christ filled up in you? Or are you running on empty? Why in the world do we have the same 10 people get up and give testimony of the word every Sunday? I've asked myself that. Why is it? You know what half the time is? I don't know what I'd say. When's the last time I read the Bible? Were they talking on last Sunday? Maybe there's a song on 850 KO or whatever, K Love or whatever. No, because if Christ is not in you during the week, he, he can't come out of you during the Sunday morning. He cannot come out of you. Okay, at, when you are at Bible study, when you are at uh, small groups at CG, do all you talk about is your prayer request? Oh, this is how I'm doing. This is how work is. This is what I need, need, need. Or are you speaking to one another about what Christ is doing, what he's filled you up and what is coming out of you? That is speaking to one another. It is sharing. You have got, if you're not speaking to one another, you need to step back and go, Lord, are you filling me and leading me? 
or is something else leading me? The second thing is, um, well, I, I want to, yes, we're going to go on, uh, is singing, singing songs with your lips, with your hearts to the Lord. You know, that's what we do here on Sunday morning. I love the worship team. I love the fact that we get to sing together and lift up. But that is not the only time you should be singing. That's not the only time you're supposed to sing. It's Sunday morning for 30 minutes. If something is in you, if the Holy Spirit is in you, believer, because you're walking wisely and not as full and not intoxicated, but you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're speaking to each other and you are singing. So there needs to be singing during the week. Okay, and some of you are like, Jen, I can't sing. He knows your voice. He created it. He doesn't care. Just like a father loves to hear their kids sing, the father believes the same thing about you. He wants to hear your voice. So I hope you're singing in the week and on Sunday. But the third thing is thanksgiving. Giving thanks always for all things. It is that idea that when we are filled with the Spirit, we're speaking it. We're giving thanks and we are thankful. You know, the young boy of Samuel, the age of 12, was given, right, to the prophet, to the priest. And in that time, he was being ruled by a man who was um, struggling with his eyesight. He wasn't the great, his kids were a disaster. The country was a mess. It wasn't an ideal, you know, um, adoption situation or like internship situation, okay? As a parent, we would probably not send our kid there. But he was there. And you know what he said was he was hearing from the prophet and hearing from the Lord. This is what Samuel said. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Do you know what a thankful heart says in this passage here? Well, I'm going back. Let's look at that verse. It says, in all things, giving thanks and for everything to God. Samuel realized it wasn't just the good days. It was all things. It was the seasons of my life because that season of your life seems good to God. What season, what chapter, what are you going through right now that seems good to God? I don't know what that is, but a thankful heart will go, God, if you are in me, and I am holding on to you, and you are filling up out of me, I can only say thank you, God, for this thing that is going on in my life because it seems good to you, right, God? Right? I'm holding on. This world is crappy. I got this. We're go I'm going your path. Let's do this wisely. Yep, I'm fighting. Yep, that seems good to you. I'm in. I'm in. Lack of job. Spouse is, spouse is a jerk. Your boss is an idiot. Your finances aren't figuring it out. Your health is going south. Your kids are making mistakes you can't control. The world, I don't even know, is Trump going to, I don't even know what's going on. And all of this thing, like, it seems good to God. We got this, God, because you are doing it. Amen. That's what a believer walking wisely on the path of God will do. That's what's going to come out of you. But I did not forget verse 14. Because Felipe and Monica, Monica read it. Look at verse 14. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall shine on you. This right here is the gospel in chapter 5. And it is rich. It is the hope that's going to get you out of here and go, okay, Jen, okay, you're nicer than I thought. Okay, okay. 
And that right there, it can, it can actually be interpreted two ways, and I think both are great, so we're going to take them both. Okay, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Paul could be talking about earlier in that chapter when he was like, you're corrupt, you're covetous, you're, you're screwing up. Come on, Christian, stop doing that crap. Wake up and do what you're supposed to be doing. I'm going to shine in you. Like, wake up. And the story that I think this is a great example is when Jesus himself asked his disciples, hey, would you go with me and just pray with me this night? Pray with me this night in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know what Paul is saying here? Spiritual laziness, believers, in early chapter 5, quit it, quit it, quit it. And God himself, Jesus himself, asked his best friends, his disciples, the church, to go with him and say, pray with me. Spiritual laziness hit them that night. They fell asleep. I don't know if it was their physical body. I don't know if it was what they were thinking about. They obviously weren't thinking about the right thing. I don't know if it's just emotionally they're just depleted. Oh, I got to go and fish some more tomorrow. I don't know what they were thinking. Either way, it was laziness because they didn't understand what God was asking them to do the next day. And that was, I am going before Pilate. What I have lived my 33 years of life, what all of humanity is built on is the fact that I am going to be dead and I am going to rise again and you will not pray with me. Do you know that what the, could you imagine, could you imagine if you were one of the 12 and God himself had asked you to go pray and you go and you pray and you don't fall asleep because you are not being spiritual, you know this is a big deal to God and you tiptoe around the corner, you're praying, you're praying, you're praying and you walk down around the boulders and some of the bushes in the garden and you see Jesus on his feet, then on his knees then on his face, and he is praying sweats of blood, and you're like, oh my God, what is happening tomorrow? Is this what he was telling us about? Is this where he's saying life is going to begin because his life is going to end? Could you imagine being a believer, somebody who didn't fall asleep but experienced that with Jesus Christ? That chapter, and they missed it. Believer, I don't know what you're missing in your life, but God does. God knows what opportunity you are missing, what depth of something that's going on that you are sleeping through. What does God want to do with your life? Are you lazy? Awake, because God wants to do it in you. He wants you to be a part of that story. But I also think the hope of what this passage says, if you look at it in the Word, it's kind of got this parentheses. That means it's probably from somewhere else in the Bible. And when it says that, it's talking about these verses here. Isaiah 26, 19, You who dwell in the dust, awake and shout for joy. Dwell in the dust. Where are they at if they dwell in the dust? This isn't a sandbox. They're dead. Okay, they're dead. All right, they are dead. And in that passage right there, it is the Israelites singing this song, and it is not because they just won and some of their family is dead and they want to rise. No, this is a forward-thinking song to the resurrection of Christ, to the coming of him to take his people home to heaven above. This is a forward-thinking song. They never experienced it, these people that wrote that song. Why? Because the hope of the gospel is not the fact that we're holding on and we're watching the Father and we're walking wisely and we're not a fool, rejecting all those things. The hope of the gospel is that Christ himself was dead and buried and he is alive living in Christ. And one day, as we are dead 
In the resurrection, we are going to rise and be with him. And in the meantime, he doesn't want you to miss walking wisely with him. Walking wisely with him. We sang the song, um, and it was great. Um, It was, when we all get to heaven, we will sing and shout the victory. Believers, we have been asked to walk with a filling of the Spirit, holding on to God. And he knows what we're doing. He knows where we're headed because he himself has been there. He has given it his life. What in your life right now do you, do you need to grab and go, Lord, I want to attack this evil and I'm going to walk in wisdom toward you and I am going to hold on to your path. I'm not going to let you go and I am going to let the spirit come in and out of me and I'm going to tell everybody about it. I'm going to come to church church on Sunday and I'm going to text my friends and I am going to sing in the car on the way to work because I can't stop it. And I am going to give thanks because everything seems good to you. Because in the end of the day, when resurrection comes, it is good. It is good, believer. We've got that to look forward to.